Welcome to Intrepid Media, the show for the business professional. Here, we're going to talk about business topics such as leadership, sales, marketing, HR, innovation, strategy, and technology. But we're also going to riff about lifestyle too and help you look better, feel better, and live better. This show is everything the modern business professional needs, from the C-level executive to the millennial. So let's get on with the show. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Todd Schnick. Yet another really important conversation today on the, the business side of things on this show. As you all know, we have talked about a lot of different things from sales and marketing to leadership and leadership development, innovation, creativity, all those different kinds of things. One of the things that we really haven't tackled in depth, which we're going to address today, is more of this idea of how to not only solve complex problems, but to make complex decisions. Uh, and these decisions are not just business decisions. These relate to virtually every element, every key important decision you need to make in your life. So going to be a, a critically important conversation. I'm joined today by Cheryl Strauss-Einhorn. She is the founder of CSE Partners and the author of a new book called Problem Solved, a powerful system for making complex decisions with confidence and conviction. Cheryl, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, the pleasure is mine, Cheryl. I appreciate you making time to join us. I know you're awfully busy, certainly promoting this new book, so grateful for you to swing by and join us. Uh, before we get into the conversation around this new book, take a, take a quick minute. Tell us a bit about you, your background, and the work that you're out there doing. Certainly, I'd love to. Thank you. So my background is in investigative journalism. I spent 10 years as an editor and columnist at the business magazine Barron's, and I ended up sort of specializing in what you might call the bearish company story. Those are stories that take a somewhat skeptical look at a company's strategy or at their future prospects. And when these stories would come out, a lot of times there'd be a very big share price reaction. Sometimes regulators would get involved or the Justice Department. And what happened for me is I started to really become concerned about the human toll of these stories, not just economically on somebody's retirement portfolio or on their investments in general, but also what happens if you bought products from a company that was then suffering a share price setback, or what happens if you actually worked at one of those companies? And so I really started to question, is there a way that I could have better confidence and conviction that I'm reaching a good decision? And at the same time, I also started to think about, is there a way that I could also better understand the incentives and motives of the sources who came to me with story ideas? And also, right about that time, there was this new research coming out that was saying, you know, we're all flawed thinkers. We have these biases, assumptions, and judgments that help us with the many decisions that we have to deal with every day. In fact, researchers tell us that we make about 40,000 decisions on any given day. So can you imagine if we didn't have these mental shortcuts, what would happen if we were standing in, say, the cereal aisle at the supermarket? We could really have choice fatigue and just be overwhelmed. So we need these cognitive biases, these assumptions, judgments, and so on to help us with every day's small decisions, but they don't go away when we're solving for complex problems. So I really started thinking about, is there a way, given you know that I'm sort of a middle-class kid from outside of Boston, and I only know what I know, is there a way that I could sort of think about prying open some cognitive space 
to allow me to better understand where I'm making assumptions and judgments and really try to solve problems more holistically. And so that was really how I came up with the idea of thinking about a process. Given that my background is in research, I thought maybe there's a way that I could go all in on these shortcomings that I have as an individual and as a thinker. And maybe I could try to work within those limitations to try to heighten my awareness and solve problems more holistically so that they would have a better chance of actually succeeding. So it was just an effort really to do a more ethical job at work that really got me started on this unexpected journey. Outstanding. Well, thank you for sharing that. 40,000 decisions a day. I mean, that blows my mind. I, 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 now, when I allow myself to think on that a little bit, boy, it does make sense. And and. I think people listening are saying, oh, well, there's no way in heck I make 40,000 decisions a day. But they really do when you, when you allow yourself to, to understand what that really means and that virtually everything you do is a decision. So talk about why this is so essential, this idea of understanding how to make a more complex decision, which oftentimes does solve a problem. I have liked to believe that that we are all creatives. This is a theme I've been talking about on this show for a long, long time, is that we are all creative people. And I count very much in that the effort of solving problems, which is a big part of your typical workday. Frankly, it's a big part of your life is solving problems. And, and to do so oftentimes requires a complicated decision. Talk about why your book, why this this effort of yours is so important and why it's so desperately needed in today's, not in our lifestyles, but certainly in our business environments. Well, I think, first of all, decision-making is one of these topics that really has been hiding in many ways in plain sight, right? We don't teach it in an organized way in our schools. We don't really teach it in an organized way in our homes, but there's really nothing that we do more frequently that has higher stakes in our lives than actually making choices. And when you think about it, it's really the only thing in our life that we truly have agency over, right? All we can do is control our behavior, our choices. So imagine if we actually learned a decision-making system. Imagine if we actually could ever master one, right? Not only would we be able to get along better probably with other people, but we could all probably live more meaningful and happier lives because we'd be able to solve for what really matters for us. And that's actually what my area method does. The area method is meant to invert decision-making. The idea of solving a complex problem, I think it's really uncomfortable for many people. You know, how do you get started? Where do you look for information? Who's got the time even to sort of fit it in to the schedule that we all have so chocked full of other things that we're already doing in our lives? But when we're solving for an important but uncertain future, our own, we deserve time for thoughtful reflection. So instead of basically saying, how are you going to solve your problem, which I think is a bit off-putting to people, I turn it upside down and I ask you something that I think is far more empowering. Area says, what actually constitutes success for you personally, right? Two people looking at the same data set might come to entirely different conclusions about how to understand the information and what constitutes success for them because we each have different risk profiles. We might have different time horizons in which to solve the problem, and we may be situated in different environments that cause us to look at the situation differently. But by asking what constitutes success for you personally, most people can answer that. Even without being able to figure out how to answer the problem, they're able to say, if I succeed at this decision, these are the things that will happen for me. 
Now you're telling the story of your success. That's far more empowering. And you're no longer conducting an open-ended research investigation, which can be unproductive and frustrating. You're now solving for what I call your critical concepts, which are the one, two, or three things that really matter to you in the outcome so that you can actually get to your picture of success. So I think it really does give you much greater agency over your life, and it really gets you focused on what for you constitutes a good outcome personally. Well, this, I want to go deeper, obviously, in the area method here. I mean, I, I like to, uh, when I think about using something like the area method to help me make a complex decision, I, is, is it similar in, in, I don't know, is it similar in theory, similar in concept to the idea of like using the Eisenhower matrix to uh, determining your next action items? I mean, the, the deciding whether something is important or not important, urgent or not urgent, and then the four different combinations of that determine <laughs> what, what, what next steps you take in terms of getting through a, a, a list of, of to-dos or action items. Is the area method similar in terms of now, process? Yeah, walk us through exactly how that works. Okay, so the area method is the first system that controls for and counteracts cognitive bias, those mental assumptions and judgments and biases that we were talking about a little earlier on. Area is an acronym for the four stages of the process, absolute, relative, exploration, and exploitation, which I consider the twin engines of creativity, and then the final stage, which is analysis. And the idea in terms of controlling and counteracting cognitive bias is that area is a perspective-taking framework. So what you're doing is you're organizing information in part based upon its source. So absolute information is information from the target of your decision itself. Let's say you're trying to decide which college to go to or which growth option is appropriate for your business. It would be the options that you're evaluating. And then the relative information is the next concentric circle of information. It's information that is somehow connected to the target or targets of your decision. Exploration is about expanding beyond document-based sources to identify good prospects, the right people to talk to, and ask them great questions so that you can better understand how other people think and feel about the decision that you are making, and then exploitation turns its lens inward on yourself as a decision maker to more deeply investigate your assumptions against your evidence, and then the final A analysis puts the process all back together, helping you to think about mistakes and solvability so that you can come to conviction on your decision. The reason why AREA uses perspective-taking is that perspective-taking gives you a two-for-one you not only, by walking in somebody else's shoes, can better understand their incentives and motives, but it also mirrors back on you how do you, the decision maker, think and feel about those qualities so that you can bubble up your assumptions, judgments, and biases as it relates to that. So in every step of the process, you're creating empathy and understanding with the other stakeholders involved in your decision. And in that way, as I mentioned, you're solving your problems more holistically, and therefore they have a much greater chance of succeeding in the end. Outstanding. All right, Cheryl Strauss-Einhorn and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the new international best-selling book, Leadership Rigor. This groundbreaking book will turn everything you think you know about leadership upside down. Leadership Rigor explores how to achieve breakthrough performance and productivity through leading yourself, 
leading teams, and leading at the organizational level. Author Erica Piedler outlines for her readers how to become change-ready leaders. Change-ready leaders are capable of embracing challenges with agility and optimism because they have the tools, models, and language to assess, structure, and facilitate solutions. Leadership is a skill that can be learned and practiced. Take the rigor challenge and ask yourself, do you want to lead mindfully and skillfully? Or do you want to subject your teams and organizations to your unstructured thoughts and approaches? The choice is yours. Will you rigor it? You can purchase Leadership Rigor on Amazon or by visiting ericpeetler.com. All right, I am back with Cheryl Strauss-Einhorn, the author of a new book called Problem Solved, a powerful system for making complex decisions with confidence and conviction. So, all right. So, Cheryl, several times in the top half of the show, you talked about these assumptions that we make and these biases that we have, how we sometimes have faulty intuition or we make these snap judgments, all these different things that just seem to happen almost automatically. Talk more about that. I mean, I also, there's a lot of people out there that say, hey, just trust your gut. Trust your trust your instincts. And oftentimes they say that's right. And I, I get the feeling that that's something we ought to be a little bit more cautious towards. So talk, talk through all of that, please. Sure. Well, you know, I think much has been written lately about how we are all prey to mental mistakes, right, the behavioral science research and books like Robert Cialdini's Influence or Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. Mm. And so we know that we rely on this faulty intuition and we're swayed by authority and public sentiment. But to date, we really haven't been given any tools or techniques to overcome our flawed thinking, right? So instead, the new research basically just explores how we allow bias and snap judgments and assumption to drive our decision-making. And the truth of the matter is that when we go ahead with our, with our gut and we just make snap judgments, we have to rely on those well-worn pathways. And like I said, that's fine, you know, when we're at the supermarket and it's very useful to know which kind of cream cheese we want to buy or that we don't like cinnamon, so we're not going to buy the cereals that have cinnamon in them. But at the same time, when we're actually solving for complex problems, we really do want to pry open that cognitive space because that's where we allow for new information and new insight to take hold. And in order to do that, we really do need to vary our pace, which means we can't just be moving along quickly on to the next decision, on to the next decision, and so on. And so the other thing that the area method does is it addresses this critical component of timing head-on. And so I build strategic stops into the process that tell you not only when to pause, but also what are you going to do during those pauses. It's not enough to say, hey, slow down here and do some thinking so that you can chunk your learning. What you actually need is a little bit of guidance that either can tell you what kind of information do I want to look for now or what kind of an analysis would be useful. So these strategic stops, I call them cheetah pauses. So why the cheetah? Well, the cheetah's prodigious hunting skill is not its ability to accelerate like a race car. Actually, it's the animal's ability to decelerate quickly that make them such fearsome hunters. They can actually slow down by up to nine miles an hour in a single stride. And that's much more important than accelerating like a race car because now you're building in agility, flexibility, maneuverability. Those are all the things that you need in a good research and decision-making process. And so all along, these cheetah sheets that I have become the graphic organizers of the area method to tell you when to slow down and what to do in those pauses so that you can check your gut 
and you have an opportunity to allow for that new information and new insight. You've talked about the importance of research in this process, and I, I worry about two potential outcomes that I, I, I suspect could prove troublesome. One is that someone says, oh, heck, I don't, when she says research, I don't have time to do research on this thing. I'm just going to go and rely on my gut. Talk about what you actually mean by research here. I, I suspect the other problem is that someone says, they, they hide it behind that. They say, oh, well, research is important here, so I'm just going to do very significant in-depth research and never actually get to the point where they make a decision because they, they're saying, oh, I'm doing an important part of this thing. I'm doing research. But they're actually shying away from making the actual decision. Talk about those two problems. I think those are great questions that you point out. The first thing is that area does recognize that research is a fundamental part of decision-making because in reality, your ability to make a thoughtful decision is dependent upon the quality of the information you have. So you need a good research process to be an integral part of a decision-making framework, yet to date there are no current methods out there that guide you on a research process with respect to making a decision at the end of it. In fact, if you look at other decision-making books, they often basically lump do research or evaluate your options as a single step. And that's not that productive because area recognizes that research is actually an umbrella term for a whole series of tricky steps that need to be carefully navigated and thoughtfully completed. So the result is that I break research down so it's not a black box. Instead, it's manageable and organized into a series of easy-to-follow, step-by-step logical progressions. The other thing that I would say is open-ended research is frustrating and not that productive. We talked about before the idea that area inverts decision-making. Instead of saying, how am I going to solve this problem, it asks you the more empowering question, what constitutes success for you personally? So you're not doing an open-ended research process. You are only deeply and creatively investigating those few factors, what I call the critical concepts, that help you solve for that vision of success because that's where you get a productive and potentially even life-changing decision. When you were talking about the cheetah, you were talking about the importance of deceleration. And I think it's important to remind people that when you're in this process, it's okay to slow down and even pause the process, because that could that could result in, in a refinement of where you're going with this, so in, and perhaps even re-articulating the, where you're going with the decision, Yeah. I think that's a a terrific point. The strategic stops, these cheetah pauses, they not only tell you about when you need more information, where to look for it, or what kind of an analysis to do, but it also serves the purpose of one of the other important parts of the area method, which is that it is a feedback loop. Because not every investigation is linear, nor should it be. Right, in times you need to be driven back into either a certain part of the process or even to redo a much larger piece of it. Because as you're on this self-discovery of what is going to constitute success for you and that decision, you may at times, and I find this all the time for myself, you may at times collect a certain data point or a piece of information and not really recognize its importance to you until somewhere later in the process. And my book, Problem Solved, takes you through four high-stakes decisions. I define high-stakes as those decisions that will have a long-term outcome, 
where the outcome is also unknown, and where the price for getting it wrong could be quite costly. And in each of those instances, the two personal high-stakes decisions and the two professional ones, the people really recognized, oftentimes in the exploitation part of the process in area E, that when they looked at their assumptions against their evidence, that they hadn't really recognized the true importance and they needed to go back to get more information or do more analysis. And I think that's really important. Area tries to, in these latter stages, the E of exploitation and the final A analysis, do what I call making your mistakes before you make them. You can't always catch every mistake. It's not going to be possible. But sometimes you have a failure of analysis or a failure of data. For those kind of things, there are a series of exercises that I have in the book that I've learned from other experts in fields like intelligence gathering or medicine or even from my background in investigative journalism that really can help you try to make some of your mistakes before you make them so that you have a better sense of solving for a decision that is not only going to have a high confidence that it can succeed, but conviction that you've also followed a thoughtful process. Yeah, and you know, I wish I wish life was simple enough that every decision I made impacted only me. But rarely <laughs> is that the case. I mean, there's there are an awful lot of stakeholders that are probably affected by a decision you have to make, both in business and in just your personal life. Talk about how you manage and, and keep account of all these. Uh, these ideas and incentives and motivations of these stakeholders? Well, one of the things that I mentioned that I highly suggest to people in the book is that they keep an area journal. You know, we've, we've had so much written over the past couple of years about the power of journaling. I talk about it in terms of preventing you from having evolving hypotheses and also building a book of yourself as a decision maker. Right, So at each point when you finish one of the parts of the area method, I ask you to sort of sum up, so what? Right? What did I find? What's important here? What's its impact? And so you're constantly chronicling not only the information and the analysis that you've done, but also what it means to you so that you can refine your critical concepts as you go. And so you can learn more about yourself as a decision maker. And in fact, when the book came out just six weeks ago, I also put on my website, areamethod.com, a web-based app that people can use. It's right on the homepage. You click on it, and it will help take you through a series of quiz questions to help you learn more about your decision-making archetype. And then it will tell you the strengths of being that kind of an archetype and then the potential blind spots, some of the main cognitive biases that you may really want to be conscientious about based on what kind of an archetype you are. It also will tell you a little bit about a historical figure who fits into that archetype and why he or she fits there. And then you can also use the app to begin to use a rudimentary version of the area method to help you make your big decisions better. The more that we learn about how we make decisions and where we get tripped up and what part of the process is easy for us and what part is difficult, the more we can improve ourselves as decision makers. Well, thank you for sharing uh, those resources. I will give you a chance at the end to share that website again. Uh, one final question. Gosh, I have hours worth of questions to ask you here, but, but I guess where I want to go next is this idea that uh, setting up feedback loops 
probably is a critical element in this process too, yes? Well, absolutely. As I was talking about before, you know, especially when we're early on in the process, you know, we're collecting a lot of different kinds of information and we're sort of cataloging it. And we don't always know what's going to end up being that significant to us, right? So first you're looking at these document-based sources from the target and then from relative sources who are somehow connected to the target. Maybe you're doing a literature review and you're checking news articles or industry analysis or you're looking at third-party data. So by the time you get into the exploration phase and you're beginning to identify your good prospects, the people who can help you and draft great questions to ask them, you already are beginning to think about things differently than you were at the beginning. And I think that's true with almost any project that you begin, right? You start at one point, but then as you learn more about it, you have new questions and you need times to know that you can go back into earlier parts of the process. And so the area method is consistently able to help drive you back into earlier stages so that you can make sure that you are collecting actionable information and working towards what constitutes a good outcome for you personally. Mm. Like I said, Cheryl, goodness, we need another couple of hours to really dive deep into some of these uh, these discussions. Uh, great, great stuff. Unfortunately, we are about out of time. Before I let you go, should anyone have any questions of you on any of this, how do they find you? Where do they learn more about CSE Partners? Where do they get their hands on a copy of the book? And one last time, where can they find these resources that you referenced earlier? Well, thank you so much for having me on. My website is areamethod, A-R-E-A, method.com. And there you can learn a little bit more about the process. You can also read about the book. You can also find a way to contact me right through the website. The book is available everywhere, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and so forth. And if anybody has any questions as they go along, I hope that they'll reach out to me and feel comfortable because the whole idea is that we all grow up to be decision makers and yet somehow there's been no well-established way to make them well. But we all deserve time and attention and a process that can enable us to turn our good ideas into great thinking. Cheryl Strauss-Einhorn, the founder of CSE Partners and the author of the new book, Problem Solved, A Powerful System for Making Complex Decisions with Confidence and Conviction. Cheryl, once again, great to have you. Thanks again for stopping by. Thank you. All right. All the time we have for now, unfortunately, again, on behalf of my guest, Cheryl Strauss-Einhorn, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you again soon on Intrepid Business. Thank you for listening to Intrepid Media. We appreciate your attention. To receive everything we do, simply go to intrepidmailinglist.com. That's intrepidmailinglist.com and sign up. You can also find us at intrepid.media and on iTunes. And to support the important work we do on your behalf, a rating and review on iTunes will help spread our work far and wide. Again, we certainly appreciate your support. Now get out there, be intrepid, and we'll see you next time.